Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the only source for information on the Boston Red Sox farm system on the web. This is the SoxProspects.com podcast. Thank you for the download or the stream. My name is Chris Hatfield. I'm the executive editor of SoxProspects.com, and I'm coming to you from the sweltering Sox Prospects Mid-Atlantic offices here in our nation's capital. They still haven't turned on the AC, but luckily I have frosted beer mugs, and that is making things a lot better. Uh, Thank goodness. Uh, I'm joined by, I guess, not my faithful sidekick. I got to think of a better nickname for you, uh, Ian. Partner in crime. Partner in crime. Uh, the co-host, maybe, of the of the Sox Prospects podcast. Partner in crime is probably better. Our director of scouting, Ian Cundell. Uh, Ian, I hope it is not. Uh, I hope you have air conditioning and or it's not as hot up there. But uh, how are you? I'm good. It's like 45 degrees here, so I definitely do not need air conditioning right now, though I do have it for when I do need it. Oh, that's good. Uh, that's good. Uh, also joining us are, I think what we're going to start referring to as the rotating third wheel of the podcast. I like that. Uh, the rotating third wheel today is a very special guest who, rejoining us in the podcast, I think between the last two, they were literally, I think we're talking about a year's, or at least months, many months, distance years, between... Yeah prop between episodes but uh rejoining us is the dude the editor-in-chief huh. of SoxProspects.com, michael andrews uh mike welcome back yeah i'm psyched to be here from uh Sox prospects headquarters in uh beautiful needham massachusetts for the, the third kind of ham yeah the third kind of ham the ham you lack the ham you have nobody knows what we're talking about it's fine we do and that's enough <laughs> and the handful of people from Sosh who remember that or sasha yeah, right um yeah Mike, you've been doing some scouting uh, of what I'll call super long-term prospects this weekend. How how has that gone in, yeah. in the town of the third kind of ham? Yeah, I, w- I went to Needham uh, Little League opening day today uh, with my son, who's in kindergarten. Uh, we had a parade through town, uh, and then we ended uh, the parade uh, at kind of the, the Needham uh, – uh, city uh, fields, and we were joined by the one and only Hanley Ramirez, which was a very interesting experience. Um, on the on the plus side, which was very cool, he kind of went around, like jumped into the crowd, was a high five, and all the kids, the kids absolutely loved it. They went nuts, so stuck around for autographs, um, was uh, was hugging and taking selfies. The kids loved it. Uh, the funny part of it was uh, he was also. Uh, he threw out the first pitch, and then he was supposed to give a, a speech, and we were expecting, like, um, I guess Bill Lee did it a couple years ago, and he talked for, like, a half hour about, like, uh, the love of baseball and all this interesting stuff. We mm-hmm. would expect that ability, and, and Hanley's was essentially, like, work hard and stay in school, and that was, and that was basically <laughs> – but it was kind of, like, what you would expect from Hanley. It was yeah. like very funny. 
uh, and then and then uh, he when he threw out the first pitch, um, it was him and like the Needham uh, girls softball captain and the Needham uh, boys baseball captain were throwing out the first pitch at the same time too, and there were three catchers and. Um, Hanley was like, oh, you guys got to separate a little bit. Uh, my accuracy is a little bit off lately. So he, uh, the, then the Needham pre, uh, league, little league president who's on the microphone was like, don't worry about it, kids. He's he clearly still, uh, he's clearly a DH now. And all the kids started laughing and, and, uh, and Hanley turned around like laughing and he was like, yeah, laugh it up kids. Real funny. Um, so that was kind of funny. It was a good day. The, the Needham little league president throwing shade on, <laughs> Multi-million dollar baseball right. player. You mean hundred millionaire? Oh my god! <laughs> Former great. MVP. Did yeah. he? He won an MVP, right? I'm completely spacing uh, on this. Uh, no, I don't think so. He won Rookie of the Year. I think he won Rookie of the Year. Slug. That's right. All Stars. Yeah. I think uh, his most prestigious honor, though, is being on the banner of some yeah. prospects.com. That's got to be it. Did, Twenty-two million dollars a year. He probably doesn't hurt. Yeah. Oh, he was the runner-up yeah, yeah. for the MVP in '09. He was the runner-up. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, in 09 to. Jeez, I'm just. Uh, I'm looking at his picture on the banner. To Albert you look a little different now with the dreadlocks. <laughs> that's like a, when he was like 17 or 18. That picture must be. Yeah, oh, that's got to be. My goodness. Back when he would ride bicycles around the parking lot. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, on that note, uh, today we're going to be talking about the May rankings, which were. Uh, which debuted today, a day early. We're recording this on April the 30th, so if something happens tonight in the Sunday night game and we don't get to it, that's why. Uh, But the new rankings debuted today, so we're going to talk about that. The three of us are the, I guess, the rankings committee for the website, and so we had our back and forth, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that we had to talk about uh, fleshing out before we posted our rankings. Uh, And we're also going to talk a little bit about Ian has seen the Pawtucket Red Sox since our last episode. Last time we focused on the Portland Sea Dogs. This time we'll have some uh, some stuff about the Portland, uh, sorry, Pawtucket Red Sox to talk about with Ian. And of course, we will get to your listener questions. We've got a bunch in the queue today. We've got uh, probably more than we can get to. So uh, I'd like to remind everyone out there: uh, email podcast at soxprospects.com. That's the best way to get your questions in, uh, rather than Twitter. Uh, I know we we had a hashtag for a little bit until uh, some weird internet sexual deviants took over the hashtag that we were using. So that's dead unfortunately, but um, weirder things have happened, frankly, on this website, I think. But at any rate, emails to podcast.soxprospects.com, and the best way for you to jump the line is to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash soxprospects. We're, really, we're rapidly approaching our goal of $50 per episode, and you can help us reach that goal. Uh, you donate a small amount per episode. I've given you guys the spiel in the past, $1, $2, $5. The rewards are all on the website, but uh, one of the rewards you can get is having your questions jump the line. And uh, I know we've got at least one guy whose question is going to jump the line today uh, because he's a Patreon. Uh, we want to thank our $5 contributors, our $5 patrons, the Sox Signatures, Gerardo Ian Tosca, Kirby Miller, Lendell Martin, and Cody Pimentel. Thanks to those guys, and thanks to all of you who contribute on there. It really helps us to keep this going, to get some more episodes out, uh, you know, get a little bit of money to help with costs for posting, our time, and things like that. So we really appreciate all of you on there. Again, it's patreon.com slash Sox Prospects. Uh, also, another way you can show support for free is to just subscribe, rate, and review. 
uh, helps us get in some new ears. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes, Google Play Music, and YouTube. Get on there. Show your support. Subscribe. Rate and review. We really appreciate that. Thank you to the Ludlow Thieves for our intro music, All the Money. Go check them out on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, however you listen to your music. Uh, you can follow the site's Twitter, at Sox Prospects. I'm at SP Chris Hatfield. Ian, where can people get you? At Ian Cundall, I-A-N-C-U-N-D-A-L-L. And Miguel, where can they follow you? At Mike Andrews SP. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, well, without further ado, gentlemen, Let's jump into it. Uh, the site rankings debuted earlier today. Michael got them up there. Uh, a lot of hard work goes into updating those. Uh, I guess the, kind of the headline here is the graduation of Andrew Benintendi uh, officially. So having that kind of you know awkward top prospect who's not really a prospect anymore, which is great on one hand, and at the other hand, it's kind of like he's not really a prospect anymore. But our new top prospect is Raphael Devers moving up one spot. Off to a pretty good start in Portland, uh, hitting 288, 300, 475 right now as a 20-year-old in the Eastern League. I think he's one of the youngest players in the league, if I'm if I'm remembering right. Uh, off to a very good start. No reason to move him. Not too much to talk about there as far as rankings go. And uh, I'm going to pull up. I probably should have had this up already, but our respective rankings, we wound up with the same top five, which was Raphael Devers, Jay Groom, Sam Travis, Bobby Dahlbeck, Marco Hernandez, um, any, either of you guys, I'll just throw it out there real quick. Any question for you guys in terms of moving any of those guys in there, or was it a, a pretty clear uh, pretty clear rankings uh, project for you, I guess, Mike? Uh, for me, yeah, there wasn't really much um, debate on any of those. I thought that they were each kind of just a slight step above the other. Um, I know you had some some concerns about Dahlbeck, even though his lines look pretty good. Uh, and then mm-hmm. beyond that, that top five is uh, pretty solidly in there for me. Yeah, Ian, how about you before I jump into my Dahlbeck spiel? I concur. Um, I get that Dahlbeck strikeouts are up, but there's just not a lot after him that has as much upside as him. And um, so, yeah, the top five for me was pretty set in stone. Yeah, I think that's why I wound up leaving Dahlbeck where we have him at, at, at four now, behind uh, behind Devers, behind Groom, behind Travis. Uh, it, it's kind of funny for me, you know, Dahlbeck, even though he moved up a spot, he's kind of sliding back a shade for me. And, and the reason is we knew there was swing and miss to his game. We knew there always would be. But uh, right now he's got 34 strikeouts in 22 games. He's striking out at a 36% clip. So in more than a third of his of his plate appearances, he's striking out. That kind of concerns me, uh, even though, you know, I'm not too worried about only the one home run so far. It's fine. He's getting used to full season ball. Uh, I knew he wasn't going to come out of the gate repeating what he did in Lowell last year with the uh, OPS, you know, above 1.1, which was kind of crazy. But that rate of striking out really does kind of concern me, uh, frankly. If you look throughout the system, uh, ranking guys by strikeout percentage and, you know, limiting it to let's do 30 at-bats here our 30 plate appearances, his strikeout rate is second in the system uh, to his teammate Mitchell Consolas. Uh, and, you know, you only have a handful of guys above 30%. So, and most of them, frankly, are part-timers or, or you know, young guys at a level. So I, I, I want to see that come down uh, at this rate. You know, at this point of the season, as you guys kind of talk me off the ledge a little bit, one month's worth of stats isn't really enough to kind of crush a guy for. 
you know, he's like I said, he's adjusting to it's his full season ball. But you know, I, if we end this season and he's got a thirty or six percent strikeout rate, I'm really going to be kind of worried about that. I don't know if either of you share my concerns. Yeah, I tend to agree that even if if it's if it's even another a full month of this, that that he has the potential to, to maybe slide down a few spots. Um, the thing that you and I talked about were the stats this month were a little tricky. Tricky. Usually we end a month and a guy has twenty five to twenty eight games under his belt. But yeah. when we were looking when we were looking at these rankings three or four days ago and starting up the conversation, um, <laughs> a lot of guys had fifteen games because they started on April seventh or something like that, and then there were like every team had rainouts. several rainouts, and some of the games are just cold games. So like maybe this maybe this 15 to 17 chunk of games isn't all that indicative of it, but um, still that strikeout number is, is concerning. Yeah. And I, th- I think we tend to overstate the strikeouts thing a lot, right? I mean, the whole, mm-hmm. oh, he's striking out a lot. Well, it, it depends on how you're striking out, you know, last year, you know, where Yohan Moncada was striking out a lot, not in the majors, but even in the minors, to me, it was, if you looked deeper, it was because he was being too passive. It wasn't because he was, you know, flailing at curveballs or anything like that necessarily. I mean, there was some swing and miss there, but it wasn't like he was up there hacking, right? Um, this 34 and 22 games, that's that's now we're in that kind of the, the meter is going over to red, right? And that's when it's starting to get concerning to me. So just something to watch going forward, uh, I think, at least on my on my part, for whatever that's worth, probably not much. Um, rounding out the top 10, again, the, the top five was Devers, Jay Groom, Sam Travis, Bobby Dahlbeck, Marco Hernandez, uh, everybody moving up one spot from where they were last month due to the graduation of, uh, of Andrew Benintendi. Uh, at number six, a uh, guy who hasn't debuted this season yet, uh, C.J. Chatham moves up one spot. Again, in kind of lockstep, uh, he's in extended spring training, still injured with that hamstring injury. Uh, Got to hope he's coming back soon if it's just a hamstring. Uh, but that said, I'm sure the team is just making sure he's completely healthy before sending him back out there. Uh, but after him, that's where we're starting to see a little bit of shakeup. So let me just read off the the top rest of the top ten. Uh, at number seven, up from 12, is Travis Lakins, the right-handed pitcher up in Salem. Uh, 22 years old, repeating the level but uh, after suffering an injury that ended his season uh, in, at the end of July last year. Uh, has really looked good coming out of the gate in uh, 26 innings, 26 and a third innings, 32 strikeouts to eight walks, uh, an ERA of 308, uh, a whip of 1.25. Has really looked good. Uh, moved him up a, bu- a few spots just to show, showing uh, really that he's potentially ready to move up to Portland. Uh, and I think that could happen if he keeps this up, maybe Memorial Day. Uh, but I'll uh, see what you guys think about that. Rounding out the top 10, up two spots from 10 to 8 is Josh Ockamy. Uh, off to a great start in Salem. Uh, might be our player of the month. Uh, or it might be the guy who's up from 11 to 9 and Michael Chavis, who's also come out of the gate hot. Uh, has dealt with some injury, uh, dealt with elbow inflammation that put him on the DL for a while that he, we believe he was also dealing with in spring training. Uh, he's also off to a hot start in Salem, so the two corner infielders there. And, and rounding out the top ten was a guy who got his first Major League win two years after making his uh, Major League debut in Brian Johnson, left-hander in Pawtucket, who's off to, who's off to a good start in his starts in, in Pawtucket as well. So um, a good top ten there, guys. We had some healthy debate, and I guess where I'll start is – as far as guys moving up, we had, you know, Lakins, Ockamy, and Chavis all moved up uh, more. And I guess Johnson, too, moved up from 13 to 10. Uh, we had some guys moving up, and I guess we should mention guys who fell back. Nick Longy fell from 9 to 11, and Roniel Raudes fell from 8 to 12. I think those are kind of 
the group of guys who were or are in the top 10. Uh, that Lakens to Rowdace group, uh, who made the biggest jump for you, I guess, personally, and why did you have them doing that? And did you have any questions about um, where to put maybe Lakens versus Akami? Where did you want to slot Lakens? Uh, Ian, I guess for you, I'll start there. Uh, kind of figuring out where to slot those guys, what were you looking at? Yeah, for me, the biggest jumper was Lakens. And it just comes down to he's healthy and he's showing the stuff that we saw back in spring training last year that caused us to bump him up. I think he was in the top 10 to start last year. Is that correct? Uh, it sounds, I think it was at 10. Or, But anyway, that caused us to be kind of bullish on him going into last year. And his fastball is up. At 10, yep. Yep. His fastball is up to the mid 90s again, sitting like 94, 95, uh, topping out 96. And showing feel for his curveball and the changeup. And last year, it's just the reports we were getting um, was the stuff had just taken a step back. You know, his fastball was sitting in the low 90s. Feel for the curveball wasn't there. And it wasn't anything. It was like a below average breaking ball. And he wasn't really throwing his changeup. And so I think now that he's healthy, he's just showing what he can do. And he's missing bats. He's got 32 strikeouts in 26 innings. Um, He's not walking really that many guys. Eight walks in 26 innings. And, you know, he's just doing what you need to do when you're a guy repeating a level. And um, as Chris alluded to, I think it's likely that we see him promoted within the next month or two, as long as he continues performing like he is. And I think the combination of this stuff being back gives him a pretty safe floor as a, as a bullpen arm, but with three pitches and an athletic frame and repeatable delivery, you know, there's a chance he can start. And in a system that's pretty uh, lacking in starting pitching prospects, that's something that kind of separated him from the other guy who I was debating at that seven spot, which was Josh Ockamy. And with Ockamy, yeah, he's off to a good start, but we saw the same thing last year. You know, he came out killing the ball with Greenville for a couple months, and then the pitcher started to adjust to him. They started shifting, and he really struggled in the second half. And it's one of those things that I think it's a bias I have towards first base prospects, but the bar for first base prospects is so high that you like you really, really have to hit to be considered a prospect if you're a first baseman. And yes, Ockamy is hitting right now, but I'm still not convinced that long-term he's going to make enough contact for his power to play. And uh, against more advanced pitching, I think that could be exposed somewhat. And he's still striking out at you know a 25% clip, which is fine. I mean, that's not even that high, really. But And he's walking a lot. But still, I just want to see it more um, over a longer period of time before I'm willing to push him ahead of someone like Lakin, who I think has a slightly higher floor. Ian, I want to kind of follow up question with you on that. We were kind of going back and forth on Lakin's uh, kind of potential as a reliever if he doesn't play out as a starter. I kind of wanted to get your opinion. I don't think we ever finished that discussion offline about what your opinion on his, like, his, his uh, projection could be out of the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't seen him this year, which is uh, in the regular season this year. But when we saw him last year and with the reports I'm getting, I think it's the fastball is sitting in the mid-90s now. So I think he could get up to like 97, maybe 98 um, in, the bull, in a bullpen role. And if he can just develop one of the secondary pitches, which I think the curveball, the curveball is ahead of the changer right now. If that, that looks like it could become like a 55 pitch. So if you're pitching with a 65 fastball and a 55 curveball out of the bullpen, that's potentially, you know, a seventh, eighth inning guy. And that's kind of like the fallback. So I think that that is pretty a reasonably safe bet as long as he doesn't get hurt, that he can at least, you know, slot it in a bullpen in some capacity. 
Yeah, one thing you got to remember with Lakins, too, is that he's only a couple months older than Sean Anderson and Mike Schwarren, who are in Greenville right now and were college draftees last year. Um, Lakins was a draft-eligible sophomore when they drafted him in 2015, so he's young for a college guy. And I think that's something that kind of maybe was a bit of a separator for me. He, he's, you know, he, he was born in uh, June of 94, whereas, you know, Akami, yes, at the same level, he's an October 95 guy, but... You know, it's not like there's this three-year gap between the two of them as a high school draftee and a college draftee. You know what I'm saying? So, especially if Lakins moves up this year as a you know second-year guy as a young college draftee to Portland, I think that that's really good as far as the age progression goes. So that was a big part of why I had Lakins higher uh, as well myself. And one other thing I forgot to mention with Akami too is he's not a very good defender, mm-hmm. and that's obviously that's part of the game also. And so with Alchemy, you're really looking that the only tool I would say that's a plus tool right now is his power projection. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at, you know, below average run, below average to fringe defense, below average to fringe hit tool. So it's a lot of it comes down to his power. And if he, you know, if he's going to hit, if he proves he can hit, you know, 25 plus home runs a year in the high minors and eventually at the big league level, then yeah, that's, that has, that could be a more valuable player than it Lakins if he turns into a reliever. But if he just turns into, you know, like a 240, 20 home run guy where he can't, the power isn't going to actualize because there's too much swing and miss with below average defense. That's a pretty fringy guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that's not to say he can't, but it's just, it's an, it's an uphill development path that he needs to deal with. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and those are the things, you know, development isn't linear not everyone's going to be going on the same path you know there's going to be their ups and downs but you have to look at both sides you got to look at what what is the best case scenario and what is realistic and then what's the worst case And you got to factor all three of those things in when you're kind of making these rankings which is what's tough because you know a lot of it is guesswork but it's more educated guesswork mm-hmm. um all right well rounding out the top 10 was michael like i mentioned michael shavis brian johnson nick longy roneal Rowdays. Um, I guess I, I kind of wanted to mention Rowdace of this group in particular. You know, we had some shuffling in there, but uh, maybe when we finish talking about individuals in the top 20, I, I kind of have a take on the whole top 20 in terms of up and down. But uh, the Rowdace thing to me, it, it might seem like he plummeted a long way and that Lakin's jumped a long way. But to me, there's a group that starts with really Chatham and that they're all ranked in the same kind. They're all ranked with the same. Uh, potential grade uh, on the website right now that goes down at least there's I think there's a tier that goes down to about where Rowdace is now and maybe could extend farther depending uh, on how you really want to classify it of guys who were really close entering the year um, and Rowdace for me we, we we talked about this uh, between ourselves I know at least Ian and I have Rowdace I never really was on board with but I just didn't have anyone else to put in that eight slot where we had him ahead of all these guys um, you know, they all needed to show me something, and the ones that moved up were the ones that showed me something, whereas the ones that maybe fell back a little bit are ones who haven't quite shown it yet. And it's just a matter of ordering within that tier where I still feel about the same on all of them. Uh, for me, Rowdace is really going to have to show it with his stuff. We've talked about it before here on, you know, the fastball tops out 91, 92, uh, or at least where he sits. Uh, and it's basically a pitchability, deception, funky delivery command profile that again i just i, I need to see it work at double and triple a before i really buy in i don't know if you guys i think you guys all had a, a similar thought there maybe mike isn't isn't he sitting close to 88 to 90 and, and kind of topping out at 92 that's what i 
I, yeah, I, no, he, he doesn't sit in the low 90s. He sits at like 88 to 90s, yeah. Mike said. Right. Yeah, I'm for sorry. me, that's that's like a guy that we've seen a lot of that type of guy. And, and you guys have been over on the podcast, so I'm not going to kind of harp on it over again. But there's a Adam Mills's of the world. And um, there's a guy there's a guy from, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago named uh, Manny Ramirez, Manny Rivera. Uh, he kind of reminds me of, even though he was a lefty, that um, he looked really great uh, in the GCL, the DSL, uh, a little bit in Greenville. But he had this 88, 99-to-mile-hour uh, fastball, some good secondary stuff. And then uh, the the league catches up on the secondary stuff, and the, the fastball isn't at all impressive. And then he spends four years in, in the league, uh, in, the, in the system as an org guy after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just... I, mean, I, I remember when Alex Spear came on uh, late last year for you guys and kind of changed my mind a little bit. It seemed like he had some some good information coming straight from the from the organization about what they really liked about him. But at the same time, like my gut has always been that type of guy that's just he's going to hit Greenville or Salem and just hit a wall there, and it's not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, he had a really bad month. It's not killing him for the bad month, right? It's you know that's going to yeah. happen. But at the same time, it's when it's kind of predictable. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe it's, it's also, just a pr- selection. But maybe it's a bias. But I think it's kind of carrying over the like. I mean, I saw him in spring training twice, and he got destroyed both times. And then it's kind of carried over to the season. And the devil's advocate point is he's a 19 year old in Salem, so you know he's facing guys who are three or four years older than him. So even if he has to repeat Salem, it's not like a death sentence or anything. Mm-hmm. But it's just as Mike alluded to. It's just it's the it's a profile we've seen before from a lot of like 24, 23, 24 year old college guys. But I think we're kind of the reason he's where he is versus those other guys who probably never cracked even the top, you know, 30 or 40 in the system is because he is so young. And it's not really the type of profile you see from a Latin American pitcher. And. I do still think there is, he definitely has, you know, there is upside, there is the potential that if he can, you know, refine his command, maybe the fastball, I'm not sure it's going to take a step forward, but he just, you know, he gets better keeping it down and the secondaries take a step forward. There still is a chance he's a back end starter, but it's just, it's a high risk profile because the bullpen backup isn't there for him. You know, if his stuff doesn't play in a starting role, but you can't throw someone like him in a bullpen role. Well, it's so, it's a long relief bullpen role is the problem. Yeah, right? it, but that's, but that's an emergency up right. and down guy. That's not like, you're not going to keep a guy on your roster every year in that capacity. So it's just, he's someone who it could take him a little bit of time to get acclimated, but it, just, there isn't that much margin for error. And we've seen it with guys like Henry Owens, even Brian Johnson. You know, when you get to the high minors, if you miss with 88 to 90, you're going to make to pay for it. It doesn't matter how much deception you have or, you know, how good a secondaries you have. If you miss, you can't locate your fastball. That's an issue. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on in the rankings a bit, uh, we'll, I'll read out the rest of the top 20. Uh, up from 19 to 13 is Sean Anderson, last year's third-round pick. Right-hander in Greenville uh, may win our pitcher of the month. I think he's kind of the leader in the clubhouse. We haven't had the discussion yet, but uh, that seems like it's a pretty obvious one. An ERA below one, whip below one, 24 Ks to seven walks in 27 and two-thirds innings. He's followed by uh, – it's kind of rough luck falling back a spot. Um, basically, he's got the same ranking as before, but Anderson passed him. So uh, Shawar, Mike Shawarin sticks at number 14 with a pretty good month. The overall numbers for the month don't look great, but basically his first start, he got shelled, and he's been pretty great since then. Um, he's got the big number for me is 32 strikeouts to seven walks and 23 in a third innings. Um, so two rotation mates in Greenville back-to-back, followed by right-hander Brian Mata, 
who's uh, down in extended spring training, hasn't pitched yet. Uh, the resident right-hander on the Boston Pawtucket shuttle for the bullpen for the Red Sox, Ben Taylor. Uh, kind of the story of uh, op- the opening day roster, I want to say. Uh, maybe not of spring training or the early season, but who's been there. He's at number 16, followed by uh, left-hander from in Portland, Jalen Beeks in the rotation there. He moves up from 23 to 17. Uh, Anuri, why on earth is he still in Portland? Tavares uh, at number 18, moving up from 28, coming back and uh, just hitting the cover off the ball after being returned from the Orioles uh, from the being picked in the Rule 5 draft. At 19 is Darwinson Hernandez, uh, le- the left-hander in Greenville. So that's uh, four Greenville starting pitchers in the top 19. Uh, that's pretty good, uh, pretty good numbers for those guys. And rounding out the top 20 is left-hander Luis Isla. Uh, left-hander in the Portland bullpen on the 40-man roster. Um, gentlemen, I, I, I think we kind of had a little bit of debate about uh, Sean Anderson versus Mike Shawarin, um and then Brian Mata, I guess, kind of factors in there because the tough thing for me this time of year is what do I do with a guy who hasn't played yet? Um, that's always a tough one. But I guess kind of with those potential starters, uh, what did you think in terms of how to – order them, uh, rank them respectively to each other uh, with those three. Uh, Mike, you went uh, Anderson, Shawar, and Mata in that order. Uh, Ian, you went Shawar and Anderson, Mata in that order, and I actually had them the same order as Mike. We all had them ranked 13 to 15. Uh, I guess, Mike, why did you like Anderson better? This one was so, so close. It was yeah. almost just like a flip of a coin to me, and it was essentially the month stats look better because it, I mean, uh, really, um, their stuff is not far apart. Um, uh, they were both drafted last year. They're the same age starting in the same rotation. Um, I can't say there was a whole lot of kind of thoughtfulness that was like, um, that I'm going to have a deep answer for that one. It was essentially a flip of a coin and this guy's <laughs> having the better month. So it's a terrible question is what you're saying. <laughs> a no. terrible answer on my part. No, I hear you. And I hear you. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to say like, okay, this guy had one, this guy hasn't had a bad start yet. This guy has, and you know, I'm going to pick the guy that's had the bad start this month. Um, Ian, what about you? Why, why Schwarren over, over Anderson? We saw both guys in spring training, talked about him here before. Uh, what was the separator for you? If there really was much of one. Yeah. Like Mike, there really wasn't. I think I, I mentioned when we were discussing offline that they're kind of like 13A and 13B for me. Um, they're very similar. Uh, but I gave Schwarren the slight, slight edge just because I think his raw stuff is a slightly better. Um, I've seen Schwarren up to the mid-90s. And it's with a potential 55 breaking ball versus Anderson, I've only seen him up to like 92, I think. And it's a lot, maybe 93. And it's a lot of average-ish pitches. So that was just, it was the very slightest of hedges, but I went with Schwarren with that. And just because I think in the end of the day, Schwarren has the potential to miss slightly more bats. Yeah, for me going with Anderson, um, it really with Schwarren, the thing is with his uh, arm slot, I, I do kind of worry going forward about what, what he'll do uh, against uh, left-handed hitters uh, coming away from the right side of that low three quarters. It's basically, it's almost like Justin Masterson 2.0 in that sense, uh, and I just wanted to throw this out there, for the month against left-handed hitters, uh, they hit 279, 354, 442 off of him. That said, tough to make too much out of those numbers, and I'm not crushing him by any stretch. Um, in such a small sample size, they're borderline meaningless. He also had 20 strikeouts in 43 at-bats, uh, 48 batters faced, which is really good. Uh, struck out 42%. 
of the left-handers he faced. So, uh, again, I'm not killing him or anything for those numbers. But uh, for me, I do still kind of worry about what left-handers will do there. And for me, I just need to get a bigger sample size. Uh, Anderson, for me, the way I took it is kind of – he was 19th for us after – last year he just got creamed in his two outings in Lowell. Uh, they shut him down, and we had hoped – that it's just kind of a tired arm thing from from the college season. And so far, he's making it look like that. And to me, it was almost kind of putting him back to where he should be. Um, you know, if he hadn't pitched last year, for example, you know, where we may have had him, uh, or if he pitched a little bit better, even just kind of mediocre in Lowell, where we might have him. Uh, but again, not too much separation there for me. Uh, the other well, and also with, with Anderson, you remember when we had Jim Callis on the podcast last year, mm-hmm. he, he talked about how uh, several scouts he had talked told him about Anderson as someone who was potential sleeper in the draft they like yep. him as a starter and so it seems like he's kind of taking more to the starting role this year as you alluded to and just doesn't have the dead arm or tired arm whatever was the issue last year mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um the other real kind of question I think we had is what to do with a Nuri Tavares who we're not going to belabor this we talked about this on the la- him on the last episode Ian when, when you saw him in Portland but uh, right now, entering today, he, he's hitting 386, 478, 491 for the month. Uh, he has basically been tearing the cover off the ball for the last year and a month now in Portland, especially if you start from like mid last season. Uh, really, I, I joke on Twitter, just more really being kind of more flippant than anything. I don't think this is really a crisis or anything like that. But Anuri Tavares, uh, what's he still doing in Portland? Uh, and the the reason he's still in Portland is they're trying to keep as much depth as possible. I think when when Tavares came back, which wasn't a sure thing, and Bryce Brents cleared waivers and was outrighted, which wasn't a sure thing either. Uh, I think you maybe had a few more, one more guy than you would, would have wanted in the Pawtucket outfield. I think they're not going to cut the likes of a junior lake at this time of the year. We're a month in. Uh, guys are starting slow in the Northeast, but I think it's a matter of keeping depth. That said, I, I need to, it's getting to the point where I need to see a Nuri Tavares in Pawtucket. Um, where did you guys think in terms of where to rank him? I was pretty surprised, frankly, that we all had him at just about the same spot. You guys both had him at 19 in your rankings. I had him at 16, but frankly, you guys both walked me back on him a little bit, and I probably would have ranked him a little bit lower if we'd re-ranked uh, to about where we have him at 18. What what were you thinking in terms of where to put this guy? Uh, we It's a weird profile, hasn't played center field on this team, doesn't really steal bases even though he's fast. It's a strange profile. Mike, what were you thinking in terms of where you know, on earth to put him in these rankings? I was probably in the same place that you were um, after the first week or two of the season. Uh, I remember listening to you guys' podcast, raising those issues that you said we're not going to belabor about the center field thing. And um, But like like today, for example, Tavares is DHing. Joseph Monhe is playing center field. And Joseph Monhe is hitting 160 or something like that. Mm-hmm. What, what's going on? Uh, the guy's played center field before. Um, from what we had seen, he wasn't terrible out there. Um, Baltimore had him in center field in uh, the spring training. Um, he His value is just so much higher if he, if he can play center, uh, but yet he's not. Uh, I don't know if they've determined that he just can't play center field or if there's something going on. I, I just don't get it. Uh, to me, that just has a, it's just a big question mark. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, he's, t- he's tearing it up. 386, 478, 491. Um, really, um, I think hitting the ball to all fields. Um, just an impressive month so far. Yeah, just to give you the, some numbers to, to for some context, in his career in, in the minors with the Red Sox, has played 63 games in center field, starting 47. 
Um, compare that to in left field, he's played 112 and started 77. In right field, he's played in 326, starting 256. Uh, you know, the innings, he's played, let me put it this way, he's played 516 innings there, and he's played uh, close to three, about 2,770 uh, in right field and another 930 in left. So, it's, well, And hasn't he not played center field since, like, 2015? And the, that's what I was going to say next. Yeah. He, he didn't play center field at all last year, and he hasn't this year yet. Uh, the last time he played center field was 2015 when he played uh, 14 games uh, there as opposed to uh, 50, call it 70-ish uh, elsewhere. Um, oh, there we go, 95 elsewhere. He played 14 in center, 95 in the corners. So, yeah, it's it, they, they don't want to play him in center for some reason. But they're willing to do that experiment with Steve Selsky. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's strange. It's, in, I don't in... get it. In Major League Spring Training, and to some, I don't know if he's Selsky has played. Yeah, he's played one game in center field in Boston this year so far. It's interesting. Yeah, Ian, well, and I think yeah, that's what made him tough to rank because if he if he played all three outfield positions at least, even average, I'd probably have him like borderline top ten because yeah. he's one of the sure guys that I would be like pretty confident that is going to be a bit like a backup outfielder at the big league. Cause he has feel for hit. He, his approach has improved so much since he started. Like there was a back when he first got to Portland in 2015, he was a hacker. And I think it was reflected. I mean, 64 strikeouts and 234 bats with eight walks. And, you know, I don't know what, it, what he's up to this year, but he's really cut down on the swing and miss. He's still very aggressive. Don't, don't get me wrong, but he's really cut down on a swing and miss. He's walking more. I mean, this year he's got, is this right? 11 walks compared to only six strikeouts. So he's walking more than he's striking out. And just yep. from seeing him, I've seen five games of him this year. He just puts together some of the best at bats on the team, uh, on the Portland team when it comes to just, you know, understanding the strike zone and knowing what he wants to swing at and what he doesn't, you know, he's attacking fastballs and he's making a lot of contact to all fields. And if that guy can play center field with his, he's a slightly above average runner, even, but his instincts are not very good on the bases. I'll give him that. And, um, you know, he gets caught stealing far too much for my liking. But in the outfield, I mean, he looked fine in right field. I mean, he took a couple bad routes, but I just, as Mike said, if he tr- tried him in center field, they're just he'd be a much more interesting guy. But just the fact that they aren't shows that, to me that they have no intention of it. I just can't move him up higher than guys who I think are big league relievers because a backup outfielder who doesn't hit for power isn't, you can't know, a burner and can't play center field. That's like a fringe fifth outfielder i'd rather have a you know a guy who i think is a seventh inning reliever than that so it's just it's it's a tough one where you know and maybe another system he could be higher but just with the way the red Sox are using him until something changes i just don't i just don't see the potential to that puts him above guys like jalen beaks or even ben taylor yeah just to give some context on the stolen bases he's a career 67 percent uh base stealer and this year he's six of nine so it's again. It's 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 you know kind of the, it's consistent throughout his career that he's about a two thirds rate. So well, last year's eighteen for twenty nine. Yeah, I think it was even lower. Sixty two percent. I mean, it's yeah. fungible numbers, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a really weird profile, uh, and we'll have to see what he does when he eventually does move up to Pawtucket. Um, and we rounded out, like I said, Darwin's and Hernandez moves up from twenty one to nineteen. Luis Isla moves down from eighteen to twenty. I think Isla at twenty starts the uh, 
<laughs> Red Sox minor league system run of relief pitchers uh, because from there to number 27 in the rankings, it's Jamie Callahan, Chandler Shepard, Robbie Scott, Steven Nagosik, uh, Gerson Batista, Jake Kosart, Kyle Martin, all relief pitchers. Uh, and, you know, we just finished the system restart on the, uh, on the uh, news page going position by position, our preview through the system uh, for the season. And it seems like this is really a system that's they're deep in the corners and in the infield at first base and third base. They're deep at relief pitcher, and they are thin everywhere else. Uh, was that kind of your take on it from helping to curate with that, Ian? Yeah, I, it was pretty shocking. Because, yeah. I mean, you and I were talking about the names, and for some of the positions we were struggling to get enough names to even do it. Yeah. And versus then, but then we looked at the corner, and it was like, oh, wow, this is the <laughs> positions that are the most, you know, open at the big league level going forward, and these happen to be the positions where they have the best prospects also. So I think that's definitely deliberate by Dabrowski and why they were very hesitant to trade someone like Devers in the offseason. But it's just, yeah, it's it's like the great relief march. There's just they just keep coming this year, especially I think more than ever. Just between Portland and Pawtucket, having seen them, it's almost every bullpen guy they run out is someone who we have ranked as a prospect and who has actually semi decent stuff. Whereas in past years, I mean, I know I've complained about a lot on the podcast where they would just run out guys who were throwing like 88 to 90 out of the bullpen. <laughs> You're not projecting them as a big leaguer. And it's like, just find someone who throws hard and just stick them in the bullpen and see what happens. And, you know, it's starting to work, especially with some of the conversion guys, which is another thing we've harped on about. They, they let guys start too long. And, you know, you look at now with guys like Austin Maddox, Jamie Callahan, even Ty Buttry have all, you know, all ex starters who now have seen have found their footing in the bullpen and have all been very impressive with Portland slash Pawtucket this year. Well, you know, since you bring him up, I was going to have my point on the top 20, but since you mentioned him, and we'll just roll with this point, Ty Butchery was a guy who we had a lot of discussion about. He uh, comes into the rankings after not being ranked in the season opening rankings. He's been ranked in the past, and I can pull up uh, the numbers while we talk about it, but uh, Butchery jumps up to number 36 on the May 1st rankings, which is a pretty big jump for a guy who wasn't ranked. And we had some back and forth on whether he should be higher or even lower um, than where he is right now, and it's Again, it's early season numbers. It's what the problems were. Uh, Mike, you had some some thoughts about it, and then I'll, I'll go back to Ian because I think you guys were kind of on either side of this debate, whereas I was somewhere in the middle. Uh, as far as how to rank a guy like Buttry, uh, in nine and two-thirds innings so far this year, 17 strikeouts. He's among the minor league leaders in strikeouts per nine innings. But, again, five walks, which doesn't seem like a lot, but in nine and two-thirds, that's a, pretty high, that's a relatively high number. Um, 2.79 ERA, 1.14 walk. Uh, a whip, sorry. What were your thoughts on Buttry and how to place him within your rankings? Sure. Um, I When we kind of did our original rankings, I had him a lot lower than you guys, uh, knowing that he would not rank before. Uh, I wasn't quite ready to, to bump him up uh, to, to the 30s um, before we had that discussion. Um, Ian kind of updated me, uh, me on the scouting report. Uh, I hadn't known that he was hitting 98 miles an hour now. Uh, I had um, I've been watching a lot of games this season on MILB.TV, which is like I told Chris is like a slight tick above uh, uh, like reading uh, box stores in depth. You don't really get a whole lot from it. You don't get velocities. It's hard to tell the pitch angle a lot of the time, um, and it's just really grainy footage. Um, you're not getting replays all the time you want to see. So, um, but I, I did uh, hear some discussion about his split change. It looks uh, pretty good. Um, so impressed by that. He's got what seems like a potential for 
two major league pitches there and his fastball and, and the um and the change uh so so that's a, a big plus in, on his side but then again uh like ian uh went over last podcast um the control has been an issue for uh i don't know five six years now um and i'm kind of weighing that more than uh the really impressive uh run he's on so far this season in in 9.2 innings uh that 17 strikeouts in 9.2 innings is really really nice stat to look at with just five walks um um, not that five walks in 9.2 innings is, is fantastic, but 17 over five is great. Uh, I caught him on MLB.tv uh, yesterday, the day before, whenever he pitched. Uh, looked really good. Um, so I'm kind of turning a little bit even from our original discussion, and I think I'm happy with where he is at 35 now. Or is that where he is, around 35? 36. And 36. Uh, just to give yeah. you some numbers, the the strikeout rate is 43.6%, but the walk rate's still 12, 12.8%, which last year was a 126 So there's been no improvement, really, mm-hmm. in the rock, in the walk rate. Now, it's actually 5.2 poor per nine, which you want to keep that probably about at least half that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Ian, you were the highest on him, uh, I guess real briefly, because we talked about him last week, but why'd you have him a little higher than that? And are you coming around maybe to him being where he is now or not? Yeah, for me, it just kind of speaks to the lack of depth in the system that I just I'm not sure there's that much difference between him and guys like who we have in the early 20s, like Jamie Callahan, Chandler Shepard, Nagosik, Gerson Batista, Jay Cozart, etc. I just kind of think they're all pretty fungible with similar profiles. And just the stuff he's showing is probably the best of any of those relievers just raw stuff not taking into account command because as mike alluded to command is a big issue and from seeing him he really rushes his delivery now i mean he's got i've seen him called for a balk i think three times this year already which is weird because i don't think i saw any pitcher balk at all last year and i've seen like six this year already but it's between the the portland bullpen has some issues with box because yeah i've seen a bunch up there between him cozart and isla but i just this, the fastball velocity gain is really intriguing. I mean, he's I've seen him up to 98. I've, I know someone else who saw him up to 99. Chaz, uh, as he, I think Chaz was on the last podcast and talked about he really liked mm-hmm. the split change. And that just raw combination of those two pitches is, I think, enough for me that is a borderline top 25 prospect in the system. And I think that's where I had him. I think I had him at 25 or 26. You had him at 25. And I just, yeah, I just... I'm willing to take a shot on that because that's the kind of stuff that plays at the big league level. Though I do as my, I have real concerns about the command because right now, let alone not even command, he has issues with his control right now. And, but if he's someone who, if he can show consistently over, you know, the next couple of months that he can locate his fastball down in the zone and keep that split change down, then he's someone who I think is going to continue to rise up. Nice. Good stuff. And again, that's on Ty Buttry. Uh, Always tough to make sure we keep uh, in mind saying guys' names for you. We've, we've heard you in the past. So, yeah, um, Buttry bowing in at 36. Um, let me get back to the point that I've kind of been teasing, uh, guys, to see if you agree with this. It seems like at least in kind of the – maybe the top 20 at least, uh, maybe drop it down to 25-ish, but maybe not because uh, I think after you get past 19 – I think there's a tier right now that ends at about 19 for me personally. I think what we've seen is, you know, you've got Devers – sort of in his own world. You've got Groom who threw an inning and a third and then went on the DL. And then after that, I think what you've got is kind of at a top level guys who are, you know, like the Travis, Travis has started slow. Dahlbeck has started 
slow-ish. Uh, Marco Hernandez has been fine. Uh, he's been what he is, I think. And Chatham hasn't played. So no one's really moved up, if anything, maybe inched back in that tier. And then you look at kind of the tier that's from 7 to 19 or so. It's I think you've got a lot of guys who have stepped up to fill where there at least was before an enormous gap between that top four or five. Uh, I think that gap is closing in both directions. Uh, is that something that you think you'd agree with or kind of going through this exercise, or, or am I – uh, way out in left field on this. Maybe more. Uh, I'd say I'm 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 cautiously optimistic. That's the case. Um, really, I mean, like we talked about, like what Occamy's done, like what Chavis has done, like what Brian Johnson has done, Anderson Schwarin, um all had very impressive Aprils. Um, but it's like a small sample size month. I've I've, I've said this before. I I think that a lot of people overplay small sample sizes and, and make too big of a deal of it. But um, this is, it's, it's to some extent, it was like a half a month or two thirds of a month um, that we're relying on here. But um, they really looked good, both scouting wise and statistical wise, in, in the first month of the season, which is very promising. Mm-hmm. Ian, any thoughts or no? Yeah, I'm kind of with Mike. I'm cautiously optimistic because the one one concern I have, which I raised on the board, is that a lot of these guys are a little old for the level. Like Anderson and Schwarin are college, three-year college guys from big yeah. D1 programs pitching in Greenville. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they should probably be starting in Salem. So until they get to Salem, I'm going to be pretty worried of the numbers. But on the flip side, someone like Darwinson Hernandez, who has gotten off to, I think, is a really good start in Greenville – based on my expectations because he's a young, you know, pretty raw guy, but he still, he struck out 29 guys in 21 innings as a 21, as a 20 year old. That was a mouthful um, to say. And he's still walked 11 guys in 21 innings, which he's always going to do. But seeing his raw stuff, being able to play somewhat at Greenville is pretty intriguing to me. And similarly, when you're seeing um, young guys like Occamy, as you said, is pretty young for the level. Lakins is relatively young for the level. Even Chavis, even though he's repeat, is he repeating Salem? I think he is. Is still. Oh, he's not uh, repeating it, but he, oh, no, he's not he got called up at late last year, but it was yeah. injured. He's still not, you know, that old for the level. That's like pretty interesting. But then, and the flip side is, yeah, it's some other guys are a little old. So I want to give it a little more time before I'm willing to go that far. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get to in talking about the back two thirds of the rankings. Um, I think. How about let's do this? Let's get to a couple of questions about guys who are in that section, guys, and then we'll get a chance to talk about if if you have a guy or two that you want to uh, discuss. Uh, our first question that I want to get to is from uh, one of our patrons on Patreon.com, Lendell Martin, and he asks. On a previous podcast, you guys said it was unusual that Greenville was using Steven Nagosek in a closer's role. A uh, couple questions. Can this be used to see how the Red Sox view Nagosek move going forward? And why is it unusual for prospects to be used as closers in the lower levels? I know they pitch more on a schedule than big leaguers, but it seems like an easy thing to work around if they need to throw more often when a save pops up. Uh, good. Thanks for the question, uh, Lendl. Uh, maybe let me just kind of talk about this from the – and, Mike, I, I have a question for you more on the kind of institutional memory uh, type part of this. The, I said this on Twitter, but the last guy I can remember that the Red Sox drafted as a reliever, used in a relief role, and used him in a, something resembling a closer's role was Clay Meredith <laughs> back in, like, gosh, I mean, he got drafted in, what, 04? 
I got one more recent than that. Well, I mean, so I got brought up on Twitter, Craig Hansen, but I don't think he got. I'm thinking about it later. I don't think he got used in a closer's role. Can you? Do you think, Mike? Do you remember? Uh, I, I, if I, my memory serves me that he came in for very short starts, but that's a very hazy memory. You Hansen. know, and I actually thought that too. And I looked; he only made like four starts. I thought it was yeah. more than he did. Uh, frankly, I had that same memory too. But it was he. He got drafted in uh, that '05 draft. Debuted in the in like September of '05 in the majors and the next year they sent him to the tucket and he started the year as a starter. He only made like four starts, I think. Um, and, mm-hmm. and then he was used being used as a reliever after that. I don't, I don't think, I don't think it went very well if I remember right. You but, remember, uh, how, how about Bryce Cox? I feel like they used him as a reliever. Closer maybe though? In like, yeah, as a closer. Uh, yeah, but he was never a prospect, but he was their uh, closer. I mean, yeah, he was him. definitely a closer. I closing think. immediately. They used Bryce Clock, Cox as a closer, I think, out of the gate. Um, uh, who else? Well, let me say this while we're thinking of this. The, 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 the first part of the question, is, the Red Sox tend to have relievers going on – why does my volume keep dropping? I'm sorry, everybody. Um, the Red Sox tend to use relief pitchers on something of a schedule, and there's, there's a couple of reasons for this. First, they want to get everyone work, right? The, the point of a minor league – roster the point of minor league games is to get everyone developed it's development it's not to win games usually when you see a true closer for a team it means they don't care about the guy to be perfectly honest um it means it's a guy who i can remember who was the guy they've had guys closing in Pawtucket for example like i remember anthony carter was closing for them for two years uh and Mm -hmm. we were like why isn't this guy getting called up and frankly it's because it's a guy they don't mind running out there on consecutive days. Don't mind running out there three times in a four or five game span because they're not as worried about their development, but yet they're pretty good. That usually means they're old for the level uh, or, you know, something like that. They're repeating the level. It's not a good thing. Usually. Um, We've had a lot of indie league guys like Derek loop and Michael Olmstead. Yes. Running out there as, yeah. As, those are great names as, uh, as clo- And they were like, wow, these, this guy's stats are sick. What, why not? push him up because he's like 27 throwing in, in Salem or right. it might even have been something before Salem. Um, but that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's why typically they, where they you have guys who they really like what they'll do is they'll pitch them in the sixth inning after the starter leaves. Right. Because that way yeah. they know the guy's going to get two innings. Whereas if you have a quote closer, they're coming in for an inning at a time. And the Red Sox for a long time have had for right or wrong, a development theory on relief pitchers that you want them to go out there for two or three inning stints and have to throw all of their pitches. Whereas if you throw a one inning stint and you throw 97, you don't need a second pitch in double A, never mind, you know, low A or high A. So typically that's why they haven't used guys in that role. Um, I they also know. want to control innings for the end of the year. They're, exactly. they're so down to minutia of how many innings a guy gets at the end of the year with like spring training plus the season. They're, they have like exact numbers in their head. And they don't like to stray like mm-hmm. a standard deviation of one inning more in the other direction. So they're, right. they're really right. crazy about that. Right. Well, and even like taking that a step further, you'll see situations where if a starter can't finish an inning, they'll bring in the designated like cleanup guy for one inning or, or one third of an inning or, you know, even a pitch and then go to the next guy the reliever just because they want those guys to be starting clean innings at their scheduled time and they don't want to deviate and have them be throwing you know an inning and a third or an inning and two thirds especially in the low minors i was wrong on bryce cox he uh came up just as a reliever and didn't start didn't start 
a closing until after he kind of his prospect shine wore off. Okay, yeah, because he he was the guy that he popped up during the College World Series, got picked him yep. up at third. Yeah, Rice, yeah. For yeah. Rice, was great the year the Red Sox drafted him, and then he turned back into a pumpkin. Yeah. Is basically what yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, because I'm, I'm looking through the stats page right now because it goes back all the way to 2010 for save leaders. And Mike's right. For the most part, it's all AAA or guys. Like Fernando Cabrera in Pawtucket was oh, the leader right. in 2010. Blake Maxwell and Michael Bowden tied for the lead in 2011. 2012 was Olmstead and Josh Fields. 2013 was Anthony Carter. 2014 leader was Noe Ramirez and Carlos Pinales, who was I was remembering in Lowell, where he was the one Lowell pitcher who they would literally throw any day. He would just go out there and just <laughs> whatever. And he had like a six ERA, and but he was their closer. So yeah. And then um, that was 2014. 2015 was Austin Maddox and Bobby Pointer with 10. That was the most saves in the entire org, which shows they just really didn't have any true closers then. Yeah. And well, last guess, year, you guys remember Bovon again? You guys remember Bovon at all? Was that before your time? No, I remember, remember Bovon. Yeah. Yeah. Bo- yeah, I guess he was pitching here as recently as 2008. Uh, he he closed. Uh, I guess that was not until he hit Portland either. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of anybody, man. Well, I mean, it just put like it this way. Low minors, they don't use it. Steven Nagosik has seven saves already in the month of April. Uh, that would have tied him for three. That would have tied him for eighth in the system last year with Jamie Callahan, Chandler Shepard, Jake Drehoff, Noah Ramirez, and Pat Light. Yeah. Um, there were three guys with eight, one with nine, and there were only three pitchers with double-digit saves last year. So it's not a, a th- you know, it's not really a thing. Um and again, getting back to Steven Nagosik, we have him ranked at uh, in the middle of that glut of relievers at number 24. Um, did you guys factor that in at all? I am, I'm not factoring that in yet, but it does. it's it's at least interesting. I think we need to see where it goes with what that means. He's going to move up to Salem quickly uh, or, or what with Nagosik. Chris, did it make you did it make, when you factored it in, did it make it worse for you or better that he was closing? Uh, to me, the fact that. It's not something they've done in Greenville with a guy they've just drafted. Yeah. I did, if, if he were older, or maybe if he had been like a 16th round pick as opposed to a 6th round pick, yeah, it would have been a negative. Yeah. Because it would have tr- shown me that they don't value him. Right. Well, it wasn't like he was a senior sign or anything, too. He got a right. couple hundred K, I want to say. Exactly. So if this had been, uh, I don't know. I mean, a guy who's interesting in like a Matthew Gorst. For example, who's also on that uh, on that roster, the draft pick from last year out of Georgia Tech, who was a, a relief pitcher in college. To me, yeah. that would have said they think he's an org guy, um, yeah. which may not have been the way to think of it. I'm not saying that's correct. I'm just saying that's not what is that's what it would have signaled to me without seeing the guy pitch. With Nagosik, I think they're trying something different because they think he might be able to move quickly and maybe be a guy who's in the mix mid next season, even though he's in Greenville right now. Well, and he was a closer in college too, and I mean his raw stuff is really good. Like he's up to 98. Mm-hmm. Um, 97 miles an hour with a power slider in the high 80s and I kind of I wonder if it's he doesn't fit the profile of a guy you can throw you know for those the kind of the borderline two to three inning stints I mean I'm, I'm looking at his page right now and he's going like an inning maybe two at most but more recently it's mo- mostly an inning only or an inning and a inning in and out and hit with his delivery it's like a max effort you know tough to repeat over multiple innings that i wonder if they were just like this is a guy we don't really want to be throwing for those you know two to three inning stints let's just mm-hmm. use him what he's good at and that's, that's you know closing games and throwing as hard as he can with as much effort as he can for an inning or in, you know maybe five six out four or five outs if they need it 
Beautiful. All right, well, let's move on from Negosic, guys. Uh, a couple other questions about guys who are ranked on the, uh, I guess, second page, we'll refer to it. Um, we got a question from uh, Alan Green. He says, what is going on with Austin Glorious? This kid is lighting up the radar gun, completely unhittable, and yet he is not getting the recognition he deserves. Typical Red Sox, unable to develop pitching correctly. Put this kid in headlines. He is a stud. Respectfully, Alan Green, who um, I'm sure isn't related to Austin at all. Um, <laughs> Austin Glorious, guys, is a guy who uh, I will remind everyone that we were in on before, frankly, anybody else was. Had him in our top 40 before anybody else had heard of him, thanks to Ian seeing him and Lowell looking great. Uh, I believe Jim Callis on here basically gave us props for putting uh, him on uh, Jim's radar. Uh, Austin Glorious is currently ranked... Uh, 31st in the system right now. He was placed on the DL on April 25th. So far this season, he has been pitching well for Salem after kind of a uh, not great, not bad year in Greenville last year. In 10 innings, he is... Seriously, my volume keeps dropping, and I'm really annoyed with my computer right now. In in four games pitched, so again, this is a four-game sample. Uh, Ten innings pitched, uh, seven hits, two runs, one of them earned, four walks, 14 Ks. So it's a good uh, 12.6 strikeouts per nine, 3.6 walks per nine, a little higher than you'd like to see it. Uh, A guy who's moving up for me, guys, but I think I need to see more. Is that kind of where you fell on on Austin Glorious? Ian, we've talked about him in the past. Yeah, I, I need to see him stay healthy and um, just I like the way there that he's in a bullpen role. I thought I always thought the stuff would play better there. And I mean, when when he when I've seen him on, the stuff's been good. But I just yeah, I'd like to see it over a more longer consistent stretch. And as you said, he hasn't pitched since the 18th, so we're pushing you know two weeks. So that's a little concerning. But um, we'll see what happens. Even he's an interesting guy, and I think if he shows that he can continue what he's doing and the stuff looks good that he could move into that same range with some of the other guys we were talking about earlier you know the negosic callahans of the of the world and the early or sorry yeah early 20s in the rankings yeah i'm gonna agree there i mean i'm i don't want to be in the put in the position where we're actually um arguing against him because uh, like just like chris said i think we've been higher on him than everyone else ian was the one who uh got like kind of um kind of scouted him before any of the um the uh the major media outlets did um put put uh we put him on their radar because of ian um and i think that we're higher than him on most than most outlets um if if the 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 the, um emailer said lighting up the um the stat sheets um sure and small sample size this year um last year i mean 320 era 129 whip um 35 walks in 76 innings. That's pretty good. I wouldn't call that lighting up the stat sheet. Uh, and then on the negative side, uh, he turns 24 uh, in 10 days uh, and still pitching in Salem and is probably not in line for a promotion uh, anytime until towards the end of this year. So he's a little bit on the, the later side of um, the development ladder. But like I said, we're high on him. I think that yeah. he's only a tick away from those other uh, than those other pitching prospects, and he could be right up there uh, later in the year. So uh, it's it, I don't want to be put in a position where I'm talking bad about him because I'm high on him. I, I really like him. Right. I mean, it's you know, again, the numbers so far are good, but you know, Buttrey's arguably are better. For example, you know, it, it's there's guys who stayed with the major league club until the very end of spring training that are doing very well at higher levels at similar ages. 
So we're not low on him. It's just that he's got to kind of catch up. That's all. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. So thank you for the question, uh, Alan. Um, let's get to a question from Brian. Brian sent us an email. Uh, two-part question, two-part email. First part is very easy. Uh, hey, guys, glad to hear the podcast again. One, Anderson Espinosa, who, who is now with the San Diego Padres, obviously, has not pitched yet this year. Any ideas why? Um, well, he uh, actually, there were articles yesterday that he's been shut down with mild soreness in his right elbow. Uh, he had forearm tightness earlier this month where he had to take two weeks off before resuming a throwing program. Uh, went for an MRI that hasn't revealed any red flags, but he's uh, going to be resting for a while to let the inflammation in his elbow subside. Basically, the Padres are going to take it really slow with him, but that's why he hasn't pitched yet. So uh, that's out there for you uh, to find. The second question that Brian asked, he said, Lorenzo Cedrola, uh, who I should add, uh, presently in the rankings, if I were to find him, there we go. Okay, Cedrola in uh, this month's rankings fell from 32 to 37. He's hitting 271, 311, 343 in Greenville. Yeah, it says Lorenzo Cedrola won the, I believe, Player of the Year in 2015 for his time in the Dominican Summer League. How has he been progressing since? Uh, Cedrola, Ian, we've talked about him a little bit on the podcast before uh, from spring training, so we won't go completely back into it. But I guess maybe just in the context of the rankings this month versus the projection, um, I know what I think, but what do you guys think in terms of Cedrola? Uh, again, I'll just start really quick with you, Ian. What do you think's there? Um, what are you looking for more of from him? He's gotten off to a pretty good start, I would say, given how young he is God. facing Green- Greenville. What? Sorry, no, I, I the volume thing again. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, the, I, the turkeys are out right now, by the way. They're being really loud. I don't know if you can hear them. I can't hear them. <laughs> okay. Um, he's, sorry, I need a second. They're literally gobbling up a storm right now. I just can't stop laughing at them. <laughs> All right. Here um, comes the pizza. Yeah. This, uh, reminds me, this reminds me of the seventh inning from yesterday's Red Sox game when Dustin Pedroia called it a snowball fight. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> All right. Serious face. Uh, Cedrola's got off to a pretty good start, I would say, uh, at Greenville, given his age. He's hitting 271, 311 OBP, 343 slugging. But there's kind of the problem. He he doesn't walk a lot, and he's got no power. And it's just it's tough to project a guy who's generously listed at 5'10", 155, but he's no ways 5'10", who's generously listed at 5'10", 155, um, to be like, what is his body going to look like when he's, you know, 23, 24 years old and with minimal power projection, he's above average speed, good defender, but it's just, it's like a bench outfielder profile at best. And, you know, when you're talking about a guy who's three or four years away, who projects at best as a bench outfielder, that's not, you know, that's not that, not a lot of upside there. So I think he's, he's moving, developing fine, but, he needs to add some strength, and we need to see what he looks like in a couple of years before we'll have a better idea of what kind of player he's going to turn into, I think. Yeah, and I mean, winning the Latin Program Player of the Year, I mean, you got to realize that this is basically like a team MVP award, basically, especially back I think there was, there was still only one Dominican Summer League team at that point. So if you have a team, you know, with a down year, then you're saying you were the best player in, on the team in a down year, which I think he basically was. I mean, when he was in the Dominican Summer League, he had a good year. He had 321, 420, 4.15 uh, in a 67-game sample, which there's a lot there. But, you know, consider the fact that there's seven triples. You know, he had almost as many triples as doubles. So this is, you know, I'm sure there were at least a couple of them that were, 
you know, high, American high school summer league triples, you know, where maybe if yeah, a good better, way to put it. better, better defense holds that to either a double or a single. Um, so, you know, 27 steals to seven caught stealing, uh, which is, an, you know, pretty good rate, but not a perfect rate by any stretch. That's a uh, 79% rate. That's pretty good. Um, in, in the States, you know, this year, four steals and in six attempts, so he's still pretty raw there. Um, there's there's some there's something there, but it's it's you know it's top forty in the system there, not much better than that, I think. Um, any any further thoughts, Mike, or should we move on? Move on. All right. Um, maybe we're, we're we're running over. Uh, maybe one more uh, question. Uh, da, 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 da. You know, just because I want to get Mike on this as kind of the institutional memory, this this question's from Zach. Uh, frequent emailer Zach, and uh, he asks any. Are the, the email subject is missed calls, and he asks, are there any guys you were sure would succeed but never panned out? I'm sure he means a kind of history of the site. So thank you for the email, Zach, and all of our emailers. And it will kind of close with that one. Uh, Mike, you're the guy who's been doing this the longest. Uh, I know we kind of met, mentioned this email really quick before we got the the podcast going. Anybody that comes to mind for you that you were sure were going to be Maybe if not stars, were at least going to be major leaguers that didn't pan out, or if you thought they were going to be stars and only turned out to be so-so in the bigs. Yeah, my probably three worst calls uh, going back to 2003 uh, would be Lars Anderson, who I thought was going to be uh, MVP type player with a floor of an average first baseman, and he uh, turned out not to even be an an emergency up and down guy. Um, I think that most people joined me in that uh, that whiff, so I don't feel that bad about it. But it was it was a total whiff. Um, I I was kind of uh, touting him up and down to everybody. He's the next big guy, and it didn't happen. Uh, other two, uh, Michael Bowden, I really thought was going to be uh, mm-hmm. a fifth starter, uh, fourth fifth starter, d- didn't work out at all. Um, I'm going to actually say four guys. Anthony Renato, you guys can bust on me for all you want there because <laughs> you you, yeah. you you were right. I was wrong. You're you're smart. I am dumb. You are good looking. I am not. Um, yeah, Anthony Renato I thought was going to be a three or four starter, and that hasn't panned out. He's in Japan now, I think, mm-hmm. or maybe even Korea. I think it's Korea, uh, actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then um, the last one was somebody really, really early on. I, I – I loved Abe Alvarez, who was a, a, a soft-tossing wow. lefty um, back in the day. Had him ranked, um, I think it was first. It might have been when when I used to rank pitchers and, and hitters separate. It was, um, yeah. But, He's he yeah. on the the see the rankings on the site, uh, the, the yeah. past rankings at least that that go preseason, midseason, end of season. I don't think he yeah. would have him above third in the system. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, but I still was ignoring velocity at that time and not thinking it was a big deal, thinking that he could be uh, do what Greg Maddox does. And that's, um, um, that's not the way to, to kind of scout a player, mm-hmm. but that's like, um, I can blame that on being uh, still pretty green when I was doing it back then. Yeah. That Oh four ranking, by the way, uh, number one, Kevin Euclid, number two, Hanley Ramirez, number three, Abe Alvarez, Number four, John Lester. Number five, Jonathan Papelbon. Number six, Jeremy West. <laughs> <laughs> number seven, Brandon Moss. Number eight, Kelly Shopik. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that you think of Alvarez there, but then there's this guys who come and go like a Jeremy West. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, um, yeah. That, those are good names. I just I'll I'll go because I'll piggyback on you. I think Michael Bowden was my introduction to you. Can't just scout the stat line. 
because I, remember, I particularly remember when he got sent to Lancaster uh, to start the year. I forget what year that was, but uh, he was still pretty young. And basically Lancaster was where pitcher development goes to die, frankly, in the California League. And he lasted about a month there and just shoved, dominated, and moved up to Portland really quick, whereas everybody else who was on that staff just got bombed. Um, we just had to take all of their stats there with a grain of salt. Um, but then, you know, when he gets hired, it turns out like, oh, he's doing this in large part. And then maybe this is why I'm, you know, relatively down on the Ronio Raudaces of the world. It's like it was a funky delivery that no one had seen before. The stuff was okay. He knew how to pitch with it. Um, and that just didn't work in AAA and above. And, uh, yeah, he was he was a guy, I think, that, you know, listening to that came to mind for me as kind of a sort of a news flash on how you have to scout guys. Uh, Ian, how about you? I would say since I started uh, focusing on it, Alan Webster is one. I When they got Webster from the Dodgers, I saw his first couple of starts, and he was very impressive, and I, I really liked the stuff. And I kind of overlooked the lack of command and control mm-hmm. and just said, you know, oh, he's athletic, he'll figure it out. And, you know, some guys do and some guys don't. And he just he was one of those guys who didn't. You know, he had he was a great athlete. He had the raw stuff. But if you can't throw strikes, you can't succeed. And that was his issue. He just couldn't throw strikes. So, uh, yeah, I would say that was one for me. When you look back at the rankings going back to 2003, I think that it's fairly I think we did a pretty fair job. So um, that's going back, including when when uh, Chris and Ian's been part of it and when I was just kind of winging it myself. 10 12 13 14 years ago so I'm, I'm i'm all in all pretty happy with it but there are definitely some of those swings and misses in there that are, make you laugh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right well thank you everybody for the questions um we've got four a few bunch more in the hopper and anyone else is welcome to email in uh to podcast at socksprospects.com um if you want to guarantee that your question gets read on an episode when you send it in uh, you can donate on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Sox Prospects. Uh, patron, patrons at, I think it's $2 and above, Mike, uh, yep. guarantee getting their questions read um, ahead of the line uh, for everybody else. So, All right, well, so real quick here, because we're already running over, um, as always, I'm sure my wife will make fun of me for doing so once again. Um, really quick, Ian, because we promised the people some news from Pawtucket. You saw, sat on how many games with Chaz? I saw Four games? Three? Four, three, was four either three games or four. Start the year? Okay. Yeah, one of them was a doubleheader. So okay, it was three right. games, actually. Four games. Okay. Um, what, what news from... Okay. Uh, what news <laughs> What news from Pawtucket? Uh, what, what, what's going on there? What have you seen? There's obviously... It's maybe not the most prospect-heavy team, but it's maybe post-prospect-heavy, um, or at least uh, post-hype prospect-heavy. Uh, in terms of some of the guys there, which would make sense as the top level of the system. Um, I guess a couple of highlights and uh, a, a couple of also I saws uh, down there, perhaps. Yeah, uh, I'd say the the highlight of the couple games was I saw Henry Owens start, um, where he threw six and two-thirds innings, or six innings, gave up only two or two hits, but he walked four and struck out 10 guys. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty typical Owen start. But uh, the interesting thing of note is he's changed his uh, how he starts his delivery. He's now using a full windup uh, in order to try and keep his limbs kind of not from moving all over the place before he throws and to improve his control. But I, it doesn't look like it's it's not been to the greatest success. I mean, he's not giving up hits, but he's give, letting a lot of guys get on base, which is kind of the issue. 
but it was just an interesting start because he just had no feel for his changeup at all. Like I, I pretty much every start you can count on him being able to use his changeup to get strikeouts, but he had nothing going with his changeup to the point where um, of his, he had something like 20 something swing and misses. And one of them was with his changeup. One was with the curveball and the rest were all with his fastball. So he's basically pitching off his fastball, which isn't something you usually see with him, which was interesting, but it was more the same where he was, you know, he was, he was 89 to 91, which was a little higher, but not that much. But the new delivery was interesting, and it seemed once he got used to it, um, he walked all four of those guys in the first three innings, and then over his last three-plus innings, he didn't walk anyone. He seemed to get in a better rhythm. And as we always talk about, lack of pitching depth. If he can you know, show he can consistently throw strikes, he might get a shot at some point this year. Um, out of the bullpen, there were a couple of interesting guys. Chandler Shepard was up to 95 with life on his fastball with a, a solid average slider. He looks like another guy similar to Ben Taylor who could be, you know, a sixth inning guy, seventh inning guy, maybe. Um, uh, sorry, I'm flipping through pages here. And then uh, similarly, Austin Maddox also uh, was pretty good. He was up to 95 also with a pretty with a firm changeup, but a decent slider. And another guy who we kind of talked about who falls in that, you know, 20 to 30 range. It could be a reliever. Yeah, I was just about to say, let's give some context. Uh, Chandler Shepard this month ranked number 22 in the system, up from 24. Uh, and uh, ben, Austin Maddox, who you mentioned, up from 40 to 29. He's a guy who's been up and down between Portland and Pawtucket. He's actually back in Portland right now. Um, so he was up in he was up in Pawtucket when you saw him, but he's back in Portland. Does it, I think it's just a space thing because um, they sent back down Ben Taylor. He went back up. Now Robbie Ross got optioned, um, which we'll have a question about on the next episode of the podcast. But um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, they have, they have a lot of relief arms, so it makes sense. And as you said, they want to keep that flexibility, so they don't really want to be cutting anyone at the plate. Uh, Sam Travis. He, he was all right. He um he looked like he's still getting back into it. Where you know we forget that he missed almost most of yeah, the last. He got injured what, at the end of May of the season. Got yeah, he missed so five months, four months of the season last year. So it's been kind of slow going, but he still put together quality at bats. And I did see his only home run of the year, where he got um turnover turn around like an eighty eight or a ninety mile per hour fastball from uh, Mark Appel. Actually, funnily enough, um, one time number one pick Mark Appel, who's not very good. So that was a good good swing from him, at least. So he, he, I think he'll be fine. He's just going to take a little time to get back to where he was. Um, Blake Swihart also was the other post-prospect of note who was there. And uh, he actually got hurt in one of the games I was at, funnily enough. But he also has gotten off to a slow that start. Was the, that was the jammed finger, right? Yeah, he yeah. got, like, he was catching. It was weird because he was catching, and it was a foul ball that hurt one of the fingers in his glove hand. Which I don't weird. Really I didn't know. realize that was what happened. Okay. Yeah, he was catching, so it wasn't like he was at the plate or anything. And then he stayed in to finish the inning, and then they took him out after that. But um, he's he he had a couple. He had one really good swing. He got a triple. Um, turned on a foul. I think it was a fastball. Yeah, it was a fastball in that he just pulled his hands in, and the swing looked good. But he's just he's pretty aggressive. He's not really looking to take walks. It seems like he's just trying to ambush fastballs early in the count. Which I mean, I guess it might be a little frustrating to be back in AAA again. Um, so that's kind of is what it is. The other guys, uh, Devin Marrero, couldn't hit again. I mean, I'm I, as we discussed it, but I'm very close to dropping him out of my top sixty. Yeah, he comes in at number fifty-five in this month's the, rankings. He's already twenty-seven. Down, yeah. yeah, he's already twenty-seven. The defense is still there, but he's hitting one seventy-two, one eighty-three, two twenty-four this month with nineteen strikeouts and one walk. And he looks, he's changed his stance around. He's not bailing as much with his backside, but he's still just, he can't 
recognized spin. He just there's very low average bat speed. There's just not a lot to like at the plate. So I'm not sure he's. I think he's settling in as an organizational guy at best. Um, and similarly, Bryce Brents, he's kind of quieted his swing pre pitch, and he he hit a couple of balls hard, but he still can't just flailing at secondary pitches and defense is wasn't great in the outfield so he's he's a guy who i i don't foresee having them adding back to the 40-man roster should they need an outfielder um funnily enough the guy who's hitting the hard the ball the hardest was resney castillo but he's in a weird situation where i don't think that he's in a consideration to be called up at any point either because of the contract constraints so even though he's he's hitting 288 319 394 on the year that it doesn't really do a lot so yeah it was i mean it's it's not the greatest team prospect wise the the bullpen has some interesting guys but it's it's mostly as you said a lot of post prospects and organizational types can i chime in with one guy that i that i've been able to see yeah yeah yeah, so I uh, I did catch a cu- couple of games on MILB.TV in the last ten days or so, and and the good one of the good aspects of it is that um, the Pawsox feed is pretty quality video, and the announcers do add a little bit of scouting insight. Uh, we'll give you velos on occasion. Um, so um, the one guy I want to talk about was Hector Velasquez, who's uh, a starter in their rotation, um, uh, for pitching in the first states for the first time this year. Uh, I want to say that he's twenty seven years old. Um, yeah, that sounds but right. He, He's, uh, I think he's an interesting guy to me that could be like an emergency six starter. Uh, somebody maybe a little bit like in the Sean O'Sullivan mold from last year, maybe even a little bit better than that, that if, if there's a need that he could come in, like if somebody's injured, he could come in for a month and actually do something. What they were kind of expecting from Kyle Kendrick right, uh, so far this year. Um, but he, he has this kind of like interesting toe tap thing when he starts he has he takes like two two or three little steps before he he pitches he he get, goes in the windup which is interesting uh, his fastball was sitting 91 93 uh has some movement to it um throws it on uh, both sides of the zone against lefties and righties uh mid 80 slider nice split change um control was a bit fringy in the first game i saw but today uh, I, I i watched about three innings of it and he he pitched six perfect innings today uh and i think 55 pitches was really interesting got a little bit of swagger to him um uh, misses some bats here or there um what the announcers have been saying that he he's on a a limited um pitch count because he's not fully stretched out yet but that kind of goes into contrast of what Chris and I talked about before the podcast is that he threw like something crazy, like 240 innings last year. Um, so uh, interesting to see what they, maybe they're just keeping his innings down for fear that he's not going to get injured after 240 innings last year. But yeah, uh, I think there's something there. Yeah. Just to throw it. He's actually 28. Um, we were both wrong okay. on that, Mike. And uh, yeah, the, the issue, it's actually been reported on. Um, I forget who wrote about it. I think it was probably um, Alex Spear, let's be honest yeah. here, but um, writing about how the team was worried about the, the workload he had last year, and that was part of why in spring training he was throwing three, four innings to start this year. He's been not throwing too much more than that, frankly. Um, so that's that's out there on Velasquez, who uh, the last thing I did want to mention on him, debuts in the Sox prospects rankings this month of 47. Uh, after being unranked, we actually had a que- I had a question on him, him on Twitter about where he would rank rank if he were eligible, and I think it was just a matter of having to see him, <laughs> having to see him, see what he could do, frankly, before we could really rank him too much because he was just such an unknown. Yeah, he's someone I'd like to see. It just today because we were recording, it didn't work out. So hopefully, on the next homestand, I'll be able to see him and have a full report for uh, the news page. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I mean, if you just look at his game log, uh, just to throw this out there for context too. Um, first outing he went four and two thirds. Next outing he went five. Today he went uh, six innings. I think we said, but the thing is, he also was at how many pitches, Mike? Through six, fifty-five. Fifty-five. So, and then they pulled him. So, um, yeah. So that's fifty-five. Six perfect innings. Yeah. Yeah. So that just shows you they they clearly are trying to manage his workload. So you almost wonder if that'll mitigate against him coming up. Frankly. Huh. Um, you know, if you've got a guy that's on a 60-pitch count, <laughs> you can't really call him up to the majors because if he has one bad inning, you're going to the bullpen in the fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, he might he might be a guy maybe after the All-Star break uh, in Velasquez who could come up. I don't know. Uh, but interesting. All right, cool. Well, um, unless you guys have anything to add, I think it's time to wrap a bow on this one. Um, Sounds good to me. Yeah, well, uh, excellent. Well, a great episode, guys. Thank you all for listening. Again, patreon.com slash prospects uh, where you can support us. Rate and review. Leave us a good review. We appreciate it. Uh, good rating. You can talk as much crap about me as you want or give a backhanded compliment to, the, to me by talking about how great everybody else is on the show but me. Uh, but at any rate, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, again, on Twitter, I'm at SP Chris Hatfield. Get Ian at Ian Cundell. Get Mike at Mike Andrews SP. Uh, follow the site's Twitter at Sox Prospects. Um, rate and review. Subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, etc. Send us your emails. Podcast at SoxProspects.com. Uh, Ian, thank you as always. Mike, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you. Great job, Chris. You did a really nice job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. You sounded like you needed some uh, positive reinforcement. You were kind of fishing for it. I yeah. I just <laughs> it's hard out here, man. It's hard out here. Right, well, thank you for listening, everybody, to our uh, to our nonsense. We'll be back. Uh, I think we're planning on being back in a week. Uh, I should mention this: we're going to try and start putting podcast episodes out on Mondays. Uh, so keep an eye on my Twitter. I will uh, or on here. I will announce when we're planning or not planning on it. Subject to change. Card always subject to change. But uh, I think we're planning on our next episode a week from today, right, Ian? Correct. Excellent. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. We're back in your eardrums soon. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.